Simplify your federal agency's technology procurement with Connection Public Sector Solutions. Connection's dedicated account managers, commitment to exceptional customer service, and extensive catalog of federal contracts make IT purchases quick, easy, and affordable. Turn your challenges into opportunities and get rid of your technology pain points with Connection today. Learn more about what's possible with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to Q&A, our regular podcast offering from the Hindustan Times. I'm Prashant Jha, the editor, Views of the Newspaper. On May 12th, Prime Minister Narendra Modi laid out an ambitious economic blueprint for the country. He said that the objective was to create a self-reliant India. Over the subsequent week, Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman provided the specifics of this package. There has been a debate on whether the economic package is going to be enough to revive the economy, which has been hit hard due to the national lockdown imposed to curb the spread of COVID-19. That debate has its own place and an earlier edition of Q&A has dealt with it. But the debate on structural reforms in the economy throws open another question. Is it only the Indian economy that requires structural reform, or is it Indian politics that too requires structural reforms? In this edition of Q&A, I'd like to argue that Indian politics needs to be cleaned up. And I'd like to answer a set of questions. What is it with regard to individual freedom? What is it with regard to institutional autonomy? What is it with regard to political parties? What is it with regard to electoral finance? And what is it with regard to federalism that requires fixing? Listen in. First up, what is the first reform that Indian politics needs? Individual freedom is the cornerstone of the Indian constitution. There is an elaborate chapter on fundamental rights. And this is what distinguishes India from many other post-colonial democracies. The fact that an individual is free. Free to speak, free to form associations, free to move, free to express political views within a set of reasonable restrictions which have been stipulated by the constitution itself. But what we have witnessed over decades is a gradual whittling down of individual rights be it through the Sedition Law, be it through the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, be it through the increasingly draconian use of executive power to trample on dissent, there is a tendency where political views which are not aligned to yours, political actions which are not aligned to yours, often find it hard to find an avenue to express themselves. Activists are arrested, dissent is often harder to channel. As the scholar Pratap Bhanu Mehta has often argued, what India requires is a charter of freedom. It requires political parties across the board to commit themselves to the spirit of individual freedom. It requires the scrapping of the sedition law. It requires the dilution of the AFSPA, which undermines the right to life in disturbed areas in the Northeast and Kashmir. It requires the executive to pull back on the use of its powers in trampling down dissent. 
What is the second reform with regard to institutions that India needs? The logic of a democracy is that while the legislature is popularly elected, the executive is accountable to the legislature, there is there are a set of institutions that constrain the power of the executive. You may have power, you may have a mandate, but you have to operate within that set of constraints. This requires independent institutions. That is why you have an election commission, which can rise above political partisan affiliations and conduct free and fair elections. You have the Supreme Court, which keeps a check on executive power and ensures that the constitution is what is the supreme document. You have investigative agencies, which don't become merely a tool of the executive to hound political rivals. You have the parliament itself, which is strong and assertive. What we have witnessed, unfortunately, in India is the curtailment of the autonomy of many of these institutions. In the face of a strong executive, parliament is no longer as assertive. The Supreme Court has been criticized for its decisions and often the lack of decisions on crucial issues. The Election Commission has also got into controversies about whether it is being too lenient on the political executive of the day. The government has been accused of using what should be autonomous investigative agencies to score political points. And therefore, the second reform that is needed is a charter for institutional autonomy, where all these institutions work according to the spirit of the constitution, independently, according to law, and do not fall for any kind of diktats given by the political executive. The third broad reform is in the realm of political parties. What is it that is required? Political parties are the bedrock of the Indian political system. It is when a group of like-minded people ideologically aligned from a certain class, from a certain caste, from a certain region come together, compete in electoral battles, win political power, run their policies as they had promised people that democracy actually flourishes. Unfortunately, however, political parties have become narrow fiefdoms. They are either family-run, family-owned parties, which operate according to the dynastic principle, or they are overly centralized political structures where it is one leader or a couple of leaders who are calling the shots. It is here where patronage thrives, where the barriers for entry for political for people who want to participate in politics is very high. And therefore, for democracy to flourish, what the third step that is required, the third structural reform that is required is a charter for political party reform. What is it with regard to the federalism that requires correction? India is, of course, a federal state. It's a union of states according to the constitution. But over the last few decades, federalism has become more rooted. States have become stronger. The COVID crisis has shown the importance of the states. The center and the states have had to work together. States are often in the front line of the battle. It has also shown that for India to confront future crises, what you require is a robust federal structure. To enable this, two reforms are essential. The first is the role of the governor. The governor, who is the constitutional head of the state, must be an independent, non-partisan figure. There has been a tendency 
and this does not apply only to this government, but predates it, of governors being used by the center as political tools to advance their political agenda. That is wrong. That must stop. The second reform that is required is in terms of devolution of more funds to the states. The goods and services tax regime has actually deprived states of a share of their revenue. The center has also not provided them the compensation as promised. It is important that while the GST is maintained, it remains robust, there are reforms, states do not get cheated out of their share of financial resources. It is in the states where development schemes are most effectively implemented. It is these states which are at the front line of many battles. They need money. The final reform that is needed is in the realm of electoral finance. What is it that requires correction? Democracy is more than just elections, but elections are a critical component of democracies. Elections are expensive business. You need money to contest. You need money to propagate your message. You need money to canvas. You need money to organize rallies. You need money to get big leaders to come and address your rallies. You need money to often turn crucial constituencies your way. Indian politics has become increasingly expensive. This, in turn, has meant that political parties have often ended up relying on people with little political commitment, but with resources. It has also meant the increasing criminalization of politics. It has also meant policy-level corruption, where you may have a set of businesses, set of donors who help you during elections, and in return, you help them when in power. Unless electoral finance is fixed, Indian politics will remain defective. There has been a system of electoral bonds that was introduced by this government. They claimed that this would bring in transparency. But the criticism is that it has been an opaque process and it actually allows the anonymous donors to influence political parties in ways that the people never get to know. It is therefore important that electoral finance proposals are back on the table. There is more transparency. And political parties find a way to spend money within reasonable limits through legitimate channels while telling the public and disclosing to the public the sources of funding when they are fighting elections. The Indian economy indeed needs structural reforms, but so does Indian politics. Citizens need more freedom. States need more autonomy. Institutions need more space to perform their actions without the pressure of the executive. Electoral finance needs to be cleaned up. Political parties need to become more transparent. It is when these structural reforms happen that Indian politics will enter a new phase. This brings us to the end of this edition of Q&A. If you have questions that you want us to answer, if there are issues you would like us to discuss, please write to us at podcasts at hindustantimes.com. Please also follow us on all our social media handles on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Smartcasts. Till next week, stay safe and thank you. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm 
Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.